Hi everyone, this is Dr. Michael Wald and you're listening to Ask the Blood Detective. Today's show topic is entitled Doomsday Health Mistakes You Make Every Single Day. Well, at least more or less. So over the last 30 years or so managing people uh, nutritionally and naturally, I've come across a list of, of daily habits and of nutritional mistakes that people tend to make. And the problem with them is not when you make these mistakes once in a while, but when you make these mistakes in a habitual way, such that they add up over time to create health problems. And most of us have no clue we're doing it. So I'll be talking a bit about the environment and various lifestyle habits, including sleep, for example, but also about foods and certain nutritional supplement mistakes. And some of these mistakes are small, but when mistake number one adds up to mistake number two and three, etc., you get the idea, then you really have a problem, which brings me to a very important point. Sometimes my patients will say to me, Dr. Wald, you know, I, um, I brush twice a day, sometimes, but usually I brush three times a day. And then I ask, well, how often are you brushing three times a day as opposed to twice? And they might give me an answer, something like, well, about half the time, about 50% of the time, I'm brushing three times a day compared to twice a day. Now, the point I'm trying to make here is that not brushing three times a day more than 50% of the time can create serious health problems. And not only in your mouth, but in the rest of your body. When bacteria overgrow in the mouth, what they do is cause a leakiness of the oral cavity. And you know what I'm talking about because I had done a show on this before called leaky mouth syndrome. It's really no different than leaky gut syndrome. And for those who have no clue what I'm talking about, let's back up for a second. Leaky gut syndrome is exactly what it sounds like. It's a syndrome where there is inflammation in the small end or the large intestine which is the colon, and normally the cells of the intestinal tract are very tightly put together. But with leaky gut syndrome, the cells lose their adhesiveness, they become, um, there's more space that develops between the cells, or at least a leakiness where things can leak through, even though there may not be an actual space, and sometimes there is, by the way, an actual space, and things leak out from the intestinal tract into the blood that should not be there, such as fungi like candida and many other types of fungus in the intestinal tract, and also bacteria, maybe even viruses, certainly parasites that we don't even know we have, but they're in the gut, and all sorts of endotoxins that the body makes naturally, that it pours into the intestinal tract, and then of course there's the toxins in the foods that we eat. So those are just some of the ways in which the leaky gut problem can be a real problem. And when you have the intestinal tract leaky, it almost always will result in some degree of leakiness in the mouth. That's what we started off this conversation by talking about. So we get this leaky mouth syndrome. If you look at the gums, you don't necessarily see leaks. You don't see leaks. <laughs> what you might see is inflammation, gingivitis, but you might not even see that. So even though you may not see gingivitis, many people almost certainly have a leaky mouth syndrome. You know, it's so odd about this. If you talk about, even mention the concept of leaky mouth to any traditional uh, medical physician, that doctor will look at you as if you have not two heads, but three, and uh, then uh, run out of the door. My point is that they, they simply don't know enough. Now, if you ask a dentist what's leaky mouth syndrome, first of all, they, they won't know what that means because I made it up. I made the term up because it describes accurately 
what's going on in the mouth. But if you say to a dentist, Mr. or Ms. Ms. Dentist, um, what is it when people get inflammation in the mouth that allows the tissues to become permeable to bacteria, for example, in the mouth? So the bacteria can go from the mouth, the oral cavity, into the circulatory system. And that dentist will say, oh, yes, no, no, we know that because, for example, I will prescribe, the dentist will say this, uh, antibiotics for an individual who has uh, a, a heart valve problem called mitral valve prolapse. Because when we do dentist, the dentistry and we're doing things in the mouth, we're creating a lot of leakiness and we're physically pushing bacteria that are in the, in the mouth and the gum line into the bloodstream. And if that bacteria make their way through the circulation to the circulation of the heart, which they always will, the valve problem, the mitral valve problem, because there's not normal blood flow at that valve, that can cause these bacteria to stick to the valve. And that can cause an embolism, which is a clot made of bacteria. So they call that a septic embolism. So by not brushing your teeth three times a day, you increase your risk of all of these bacteria, viruses, perhaps even parasites from going from the mouth into the bloodstream. And it doesn't matter if you don't have mitral valve prolapse, these bacteria, they release toxins themselves. And what do you think those toxins tend to promote in the body? Well, inflammation. Now you get it, right? Once you say inflammation, we all know that inflammation is now recognized to be at the, at the underlining area of basically all human disease. So we need to ask ourselves, particularly if we want to reduce inflammation, we have, to, we have to ask ourselves, well, what type of inflammation is it? What caused the inflammation? There may even be causes. So for those of you just joining us, we're talking about basically things that you do every day that uh, may be slowly killing you, and some things not too slowly. The show is entitled Doomsday Health Mistakes because, of these, because these are mistakes that most of you make every single day. And I know this because I've done surveys and the responses I get back about daily habits reveal that very few of you are brushing your teeth enough. So besides brushing your teeth, I've discussed previously too that a person needs to not only floss, but they must, must use mouthwash. But hold on, what kind of mouthwash are we talking about? And how should we floss? And what order? Well, here's how I see it. You wake up in the morning, your mouth is filled with, with bacteria, teeming with bacteria. So what I would suggest you do is, is the following, and you might wanna write this down. The first thing is, you spit out what's in your mouth in the sink. And then you rinse your mouth several times with just water. At that point, you wanna use your mouthwash and then you wanna floss. Now, the mouthwash you use needs to be chosen carefully. I suggest to my patients the use of a natural mouthwash that has several key herbs in them. And the reason why you want to use these herbs is because they are topically toxic to many bacteria, viruses, and fungi often found in the mouth. Now you might say, well, isn't scope also uh, antibacterial? It is. But it's my opinion that scope will also lead to re bacterial resistance. And that's the last thing you want are resistant bacteria in your mouth along with the leaky gut that occurs, and this stuff can again seep into your bloodstream, causing issues through inflammation anywhere throughout your body. That's the connection. So the herbs in the mouthwash, in my opinion, should include black walnut hulls. You must have echinacea, and it's the Augustifolia form of echinacea. Olive leaf extract, cat's claw bark, and a few other herbs. I have it in a product called Natural Mouthwash. Now, first I mentioned you rinse your mouth. Then 
use some of the natural mouthwash. You've cleared out most of the bacteria. Then you floss. If you floss at this point, see floss pushes bacteria through the gums and into the bloodstream because it damages the tissue. That's why you bleed a good deal of the time when you floss. Well, also because you have gingivitis, which just underscores everything I just said. And then after you floss, use the natural mouthwash again. This is a big deal because all of these bacteria and fungi and parasites in the mouth, when they make their way into the body over the course of your life, just set up a level of chronic low-grade inflammation that, in my opinion, is the beginning of the end. Now let's change the topic a little bit. Let's talk about microwaving, but microwaving in plastic containers. So most people know it's better to buy PBA-free water bottles, for example, than, than not to. And certain containers just aren't good uh, for you to heat up leftovers. And the FDA, quite a while ago, recognized the dangers of plastic uh, leaking or leaching into foods. And they do conduct tests uh, of what are microwave-safe plastics, for example, and what constituents from those plastics are released into the food. So I'm gonna save you a little research. There is no safe plastic to use in a microwave. There is no safe plastic to use, in my opinion, at all. I simply do not trust the level of testing that has been carried out by the FDA. I've read a good deal of it. I've also read a good deal of the studies regarding the myriad of human diseases ranging from bladder cancer to dementia that could be caused and or promoted or made worse by plastics of any type. And especially for you ladies out there, many of these plastics act as super estrogens, many times more potent than the estrogens that the body makes. And estrogen is a procarcinogen which means if you're exposed to it long enough, you, you'll get cancer from it. And there are a variety of things you can do to help your body excrete these various plastics. And I do testing on individuals to decide exactly how to do that. Now, I say that to you because plastics detoxification is not the same thing as mercury detoxification or aluminum detoxification or arsenic detoxification or cadmium detoxification or bacterial inflammatory mediators detoxification and the list goes on. I rarely read online, I rarely hear on radio shows, everyone's pitching detoxification and fasting and doing it for health reasons. But if you're fasting and you're detoxing and you don't know what your needs are, you're not helping yourself. You might feel better psychologically that you fasted or detoxed, didn't eat for 16 hours, let's say, and took some herbs and fibers to stimulate your bowel movements, but these are not going to add up to health benefits over the course of a lifetime. Even if you did them you know, three times a day, they'd probably be more irrit irritating than they are health-promoting. So keep in mind that the, the blood detective way is to think more deeply. But what I would like to point out, though, with plastics detoxification is that you've got to support some of the major, what they call, what are called, uh, conjugation detoxification pathways in the liver. Um, I don't know why you don't hear about these things much because they literally are the detox pathways and we even know what nutrients support them or many of the nutrients that support them. One of them is called glycine conjugation and the other one is called glutathione conjugation. I'm mentioning only these two out of the six because the nutrition required for the other four detox pathways are too dependent on individual needs. So I would have to know you uh, and look at your health history to figure out your needs. But consuming reduced glutathione along with lipoic acid, vitamin C, and the amino acid glycine 
preferably at doses that are based on your metabolic rate, so you actually get a dose right. Uh, that's our next topic, would be ideal. Now, some of you are thinking, oh no, oral glutathione, reduced glutathione is not absorbed well. That is, our ne- that is a mistake. The information that you may have heard, even health professionals, uh, that describe that oral glutathione, which is an immune nutrient, for those of you who may not be familiar, that it wasn't absorbed if you took it by mouth, were uh, basically lies perpetuated by a nutrient company at a large nutritionist convention one year. Um, there was a, there is a large nutrition organization, one of the biggest, called the International and American Association of Clinical Nutritionists, abbreviated IAACN. And there was a researcher who was respected who made a single statement that all glutathione was not absorbed. And that was because his company was coming out with all sorts of other variations of glutathione, liposomal glutathione, etc. cetera. Uh, and he, what he did was pretty remarkable. The entire profession practically and the public just ate it up and they believed it, except it's not true. And how I can tell you it's not true, because I never want you to believe me based on my word, is all you need to do is is go to the um, National Library of Medicine, which is called PubMed, like published medical articles, PubMed.com, and search oral absorption of reduced glutathione or reduced glutathione in liver cancer or reduced glutathione in brain cancer or reduced glutathione in detoxification And you will come up with, I would venture to say, hundreds of studies showing that it's absorbed. So just wanted to get that out of the way. Now, another big mistake, which I call a doomsday mistake because it's so bad uh, and it happens most of the time, is that very few of you out there, yes, I'm talking about you, figure out your nutritional dosing of how much you need of this or that supplement or even your dietary intake of protein, carbs, and fats based on anything at all. Most of you follow the directions on the bottles of supplements you have. Let's talk about supplements for a moment. And perhaps some of you, uh, a little more sophisticated, maybe saw a uh, certified dietitian or nutritionist, and they may have said, well, you know, I want you to take less of what's on the bottle. I want you to take more of what's on the bottle based on at least guidance, just talking with you, questionnaires. And then some of you are even more sophisticated. You might have had some tests done, maybe some blood tests or some urine tests or some other sort of evaluations that gave you a more specific idea of the dose of the supplement that you need. Folks, I have been practicing natural medicine and healthcare for 30 years. And I can tell you from that experience that almost no one I see is taking the right doses. How do you know? Well, if you would do, and I've said it before, a bioimpedance test, a body comp test, that's the same. Body composition testing is bioimpedance testing. That test will tell you your percentage of muscle, water, and fat, and it will also tell you your lean body mass and a few other items. And these percentages and this information can give a trained nutritionist very specific information for dosing. I mean, think of it simply. Think of the, the most overweight person that you know. Do you think that your nutritional intake should be the same as theirs? Think of the thinnest person that you know. Do you think that your dietary or oral supplement doses should be the same as theirs? So when you say it that way, or when I say it that way, it seems pretty obvious, right? That you would need some way of figuring things out. Now, I want to continue this. How do you figure out the right doses of your supplements by segueing though into another doomsday problem that's related, meaning, well, how do you test it beyond a body comp, like shouldn't we be testing blood levels of nutrients? Isn't that how you know what you need? The answer overwhelmingly is absolutely no. Here's why. 
the level, let's say, of vitamin C or B12 or folic acid or B1, B2, B3, B5, B6, all of those supplements, just to name just a few, uh, checking them in the blood, which more technically we're talking about the plasma or the serum, will only let you know the last two to four or five days of your intake at best. That's all it tells you. It doesn't tell you anything, zero, which is why this is a big problem. This is a doomsday problem because it's the beginning of the end. If you don't know your doses, you're wasting money, you're wasting time. Some of you say to me, but doctor, well, they take a high dose. I'm like, well, what's a high dose if you have cancer or malabsorption or lupus or multiple sclerosis or migraines or uh, autism? There is no a lot. There is what you need always. By the way, that's called an orthomolecular dose, which means it could be a lot of something or a little bit of something, but the right dose is the orthomolecular dose. There are a combination of tests that tell me what your optimal doses should be, but there are a few other factors. Okay, now we mentioned that there's the body comp because that lets us know your metabolic rate. And based on metabolic rate, we can have some, when I say we, nutritionists that know this, can have some basis for figuring out your, your dosing and your intake of protein, carbs, and fats. If you malabsorb, which you do if you're over 50, you're gonna need about 10 to 20% higher dosing of what it says on the bottle of the supplement. Now, if you wanna get the actual benefit of the supplement, let's say, CBD oil for helping cancer or pain, I got news for you folks, you can swallow five vials of that CBD oil. You're not getting your blood levels high enough. How do I know? Because I checked the levels. Have you checked your levels? Here's the problem. There's only so much the body can absorb by mouth. So let's say you take five bottles, you swig it down. It's a lot of CBD oil. Uh, most of that's just going to go right out in your stool because you're going to get diarrhea within a few hours and that's going to be the end of that. But if you took a reasonable dose of CBD oil, let's say two milliliters a day, and you found out you were malabsorbing by 20%, so you increased the dose of the CBD by 20%. But let's say you want to use the CBD for, let's say, shrinking a tumor. So you, you look at the studies, which I would do, or a nutritionist like me, and, and if the study says that the blood level should be, you know, five millimolars concentration, then you adjust the oral dose to match. Sometimes, this is actually most often everyone, the supplements you take by mouth can never reach the doses that they actually need to be based on what the study said gets you the result, whether you want more energy or whether you want to shrink a tumor. And those of you who are saying, no, 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 I took much less, I felt great. Well, everyone's feeling the I feel great placebo effect right now of CBD. Because what's happening with it now is completely unprecedented. It's like a psychological experiment. And if you doubt me, that's okay. You don't have to believe me. Let's say over time, if it lasts. Not only that, if you're not measuring any specific parameters in your chemistry to see if anything gets fixed, then it's just what they say in scientific circles quote unquote, it's all in your head. Now the thing about something being in your head, which is what they call the placebo is, the placebo is real. The placebo is using some trigger like CBT oil, a belief in something, something of that nature to trigger a physiologic response that can actually cure something. It won't work for the serious conditions ever, at least I've never seen it, um, but it's possible I suppose. So just don't rely on any one thing and certainly don't over supplement with CBD least you, uh, until you know the dose that you need. Now we've been talking about blood levels of nutrients not being of real use. Well, there are some exceptions. You know, people will come to me and they'll say, Dr. Wald, you're the blood detective. You know, can you check vitamin levels on me? And I'll explain to them how the vitamin levels really only tell us three to five, six days. But I can do and order tests that tell me about the function of the vitamins. So for example, how many of you out there have had your B12 levels checked? And how many of you out there have had your B12 levels checked and 
your doctor says, oh, your levels are high, or they may not even tell you that, but you see them on your blood tests, a lot of people. Now, the doctor will say what? Don't take that, you have too much. Well, that is probably wrong because usually what it means when B12 levels are high in the serum is that they're high in the serum, that's the fluid around, let's say, your brain or your, your organs, because it's not in the tissues where it needs to be. I'm gonna say that again. You could have a high or even a high normal level of any nutrient in your blood because it's not in your tissues where you need the changes to happen. So the doctors are doing the wrong tests, they're interpreting them wrong because they don't know lab very well. And I can tell you this respectfully to all of your doctors and other practitioners out there that have taken my courses on how to read blood, you need work. You're not reading blood very well. So I wrote a 500-page textbook on how to read blood for nutrition. I'm going to be converting that into a very tiny, perhaps 100-page handbook on like quick skills for reading your blood nutritionally that your doctor won't do. Because when you have that information in your hands, you are dangerous. Things just start, the game just starts to change. So there are the right tests and the wrong tests. So let me switch to a, a different topic for a moment, but let me just say hello to those that have just joined us. My name is Dr. Michael Wald, and you're listening to Doomsday Health Mistakes You Make Every Day. Just boo-boos that you're making all the time in all these different areas of your health, whether it's your diet or it's how you're supplementing or the kind of test you want to get, uh, the plastic you're eating out of, the, the way you're not brushing your teeth enough and you're not using the right mouthwash, etc. every day that add up to disease and problems. So a simple next one is sneezing or coughing into your hands. Yuck. Um, this one isn't so much about you as it is those that you'll encounter throughout your day. We often, you know, greet people with a handshake. So hacking in your, you know, your hands throughout the day is a near guarantee way to pass along germs and, of course, potential illnesses resulting from those germs. Um, it's just common courtesy to use a tissue if you have one. Otherwise, you want to you know, aim for your elbow, you know, and don't even think about trying to hold your sneeze back because this can, this can damage your diaphragm. You can break a blood vessel in your eye. Uh, you can rupture an eardrum. Uh, you can probably pop a blood vessel in your brain and you get a hemorrhage. So don't do that, okay? Very important not to try to hold a sneeze back. And what about another lifestyle habit that some of us do? Ignoring nature's call, holding back a bowel movement when you really, really should not. So here's how this works. So it's easy to you know get wrapped up in your life and uh, and realize that you know you haven't uh, gone to the the restroom for for a long period of time. Now sometimes there's just obvious discomfort, you know, holding off a bathroom break, uh, but this can very negatively, as you can imagine, uh, affect your health. And uh, there was a, something written up in the Huffington Post Canada saying that when you resist the urge to urinate, for example, you cause your bladder to stretch and you encourage a bacteria to overgrow in your bladder just by holding your urination. And of course, overgrowth of bacteria in your bladder can cause a bladder infection, could also cause a kidney infection. And that just leads to dangerous antibiotics and increased susceptibility to bacterial resistance. And if it's, a, if it's a kidney infection, well, that's almost always a hospital stay where you're getting one or more antibiotics intravenously, which really just damages your immune system. I'm not saying it's not necessary. At that point, it is. But it doesn't take away the what's wrong. Now, if you're holding your bowel movements back, holding your excrement, of course, this can cause constipation over time. And that's a big deal. Constipation is a huge deal. Now, some of my patients are overly obsessed with it such that if they don't have two to three bowel movements a day, they think something's wrong. So you can have too many bowel movements 
and, and, and you can have uh, not enough bowel movements. So the thing about holding your bowel movements in, among other things, is that you cause weakness of the bowel wall. That wall stretches. And what do we say about the mouth and leaky gut and leaky mouth syndrome? Well, the colon also will become leaky if it's holding a bunch of stuff that has nowhere to go and you're stretching the cells that line the colon. So what do some of you do? You make yet another mistake. You go to some colon cleansing therapist and that person who is obviously very well-meaning, no doubt about it, well, they'll put some tubes in your butt, well, maybe one tube, and they will flush you with water, maybe some herbs, there might be some probiotics there, and they stretch your bowel wall out even more. Now, as that's happening, the leakiness of your colon is worse and worse. You will evacuate a good amount of fecal matter from this procedure, there's no doubt. But you've actually worsened your potential for constipation in the future, particularly if you are going for repeat colon cleanses, which is what many people tend to do. They think if they don't have a super clean butt that you know you could eat off of, <laughs> then uh, there's something wrong. Now, a, a bowel that is too clean is leaky for the reasons I just described, but it's, it's leaky and it is damaged in, an, in yet another very important and crucial doomsday way. The immune mucus blanket that protects the bowel, that coats the bowel, is ripped the heck out. It's gone. So that's like a, like a force field uh, in the bowels. And without that, I'm sorry, I'm a Star Trek fan, so that's where the force field analogy came from. But if you remove that mucus immune blanket, you have removed your IgA, your immunoglobin A immunity from your bowel. It is gone. It is gone. And now the bowel is unnaturally susceptible to things you eat that go through the bowel that will scratch the wall of the bowel, creating inflammation and hopefully your intestinal tract will somehow recover from that inflammation. You see, when you scrape things against the bowel that don't have the immune mucus blanket on it, there's no protection. So there's damage. And the cells of the colon, the colonic cells, they're called enterocytes. They are damaged to the point where your body may not be able to repair them and they can become cancerous. And then that cancerous cell makes another cancer cell, which makes another cancer cell and another cancer cell. That's called proliferation. So we need to enhance the strength of bowel movements, not blast fluid in there, remove the mucus blanket, and by the way, all of your body's natural probiotics called endogenous probiotics we don't want to remove those because you can't get those in a bottle. You can't get, even my, my Superbugs probiotic and my Saccharomyces boulardii probiotic, they're not as good as what your body makes. Your body may not make enough of what it needs, but there's nothing better than the genetically programmed type of probiotics that your body makes. Now, if you do something simple, like get some powdered buffered vitamin C, then what happens is you take it at a teaspoon every 30 minutes mixed in water, about a three to four ounces of water. And you do that every 30 minutes. Don't plan on going anywhere for like four hours. And then that's going to cause contraction of your bowel. That's what you want. That's going to bring all of the fecal matter out. It's going to enhance the mucus immune blanket and the very important immunoglobin A immunity in the mucus blanket. And the vitamin C is also going to exercise your bowel walls to muscular layers that are stretched to the heavens with the colonic. And not only that, last but not least, 
the vitamin C, when you take it habitually to do what I call a vitamin C flush, which I'll continue in a minute describing that, it reduces the leakiness in the bowel. It helps repair it because the gut needs vitamin C for that repair. So the vitamin C flush is produced by taking one level teaspoon of vitamin C in about three to four ounces of water every 30 minutes until you go to the bathroom, like loose stool. And if you're questioning whether it's loose enough, it's not. And then when you finally start to flow, everything's going, stop the vitamin C. And then what you take the next day and each day after that is two-thirds of the amount of the vitamin C it took you to get the fecal flush. That's how you do it. You will cure constipation in practically everyone by doing this. For those of you joining us just now, thanks for joining us. My name is Dr. Michael Wald. I practice in Westchester County. You can reach me if you want to see me as a patient, either in person or uh, via distance over the phone by calling 914-552-1442. That's 914-552-1442. Definitely email me your topics for future shows and your ideas and your comments to info at blooddetective.com, info at blooddetective.com. Please do check out my website and all the videos under the video section, and you can listen to all my radio shows under the blog section. Just press the ti- click on the title of the show, and that is at intmedny.com, intmedny.com. So now let's talk about sleep. I cannot overemphasize the importance of sleep, but I'm going to tell you a few things you might not have heard. So here's how it usually goes, at least in my experience. You know, we all have busy lives. We're overworked. I know I'm working long hours. You know, plenty of people just not getting enough sleep. And then what do they do? They drink more coffee. Now, first of all, I... um. I, I like coffee and I drink coffee every day. I'm, I'm admitting it to you. I have one cup of coffee in the morning. I never finish it though. I usually finish about a half of it and then I might have another cup later where I finish another half of it. Um, that's fine. You know, uh, coffee, if, if it's organic, uh, is uh, actually quite healthy potentially for people. For example, if you have fatigue and or brain fog or uh, low energy and or you're constipated, maybe a little depressed, caffeine is very good for those conditions in, in many individuals. Now, of course, if you overdo the coffee, uh, meaning you have too much every day, it might have the opposite effects or no effects. So initially you drink coffee, it moves your bowel movements a little bit or a lot, and then it just won't. Uh, sometimes you drink coffee, it gives you a little pep, uh, sometimes a quite significant pep. You know, in, in my early days of, of uh, marathon running, I still run marathons, I would not eat breakfast. That's right, I would run a whole marathon without, without eating any breakfast. And I would uh, have a cup of coffee. And because I had nothing in my intestinal tract, nothing in my stomach, that coffee is super absorbed. And I was absolutely jacked up for the race. Um, so it's, it acts as an ergogenic aid. And some of my other friends, they would drink far more, whole pots of coffee, but that's all I needed. So um, the thing is, the need for coffee with different people, assuming it's, you know, uh, organic when possible, is uh, it's conditionally based. So in other words, if you have anxiety, you don't want extra caffeine. You do not. If you have a fast heart rate, what what's called... Uh, tachycardia, or just a fast heart rate that's not a disease, but if you run on the high end, you know, you may not want coffee because coffee simulates the autonomic nervous system, the sympathetic part of it actually, to the heart, and it creates a stress response. So your body acts as if it's in a stress mode. But coffee also is detoxifying. Caffeine specifically upregulates, that means improves, what's called phase two liver detoxification. It actually does. It's in the books. So, for example, ladies, uh, estrogen we mentioned earlier is a toxin. It's a potential carcinogen. If you live long enough, it will, you'll get some sort of estrogen-related cancer. But uh, caffeine conjugates 
it binds to estradiol, which is the bad estrogen, and helps get rid of it. So that's really important because conjugation is a process in the body, just stick with me here, that converts a fat-soluble toxin, it could be anything, it could be something from a nuclear power plant, something in the air, water, you name it, something your body makes, and turns that fat-soluble toxin into a water-soluble toxin. And water-soluble toxins are quite easy to get rid of. Quite easy to get rid of. And then I mentioned that coffee may help increase um, sense of well-being in the brain. And that's an important thing because if you are slightly depressed, caffeine can help, possibly. I always put those qualifiers in there. Just again, like I mentioned to you, when someone, a patient says to me, Dr. Wald, what do you think of uh, EPA, DHA? What do you think of a superfood? What do you think of D3? What do you think of medium chain triglycerides? My, my next question is always what? For what are you, you, are you talking about? The use of, let's say, EPA, DHA uh, for, let's say, um, toenail fungus is useless. But for everything from heart disease to dementia to psoriasis to depression, EPA DHA is definitely on the list. So everything is conditionally useful, except for CBD oil, CBD oil that cures everything, which of course is ridiculous. Now let's get back to sleep because this is what we're talking about here. So for those of you out there who find that you're running on very little sleep, you have an increased risk of cancer development overall, an increased risk of memory loss, heart disease, and even an increased risk of depression. So the studies in my experience seem to say, and I hate to give you an average for the average person because what have I said before? The average person doesn't exist. So I might start by saying that you need an absolute minimum of six hours every night, eight hours is even better. But I don't know you, so you might do better on five hours. Your, your REM cycles might be better within that. You might really need nine hours. But experiment with a certain amount of hours and try to stick to a regular sleep schedule because even if you get the hours wrong, when you encourage your body to be in a pattern, particularly... Um, with sleep, which is called a, a proper circadian rhythm. That is, that's just a fancy term, by the way, for the sleep cycle in the brain to get on track. Uh, so getting on a regular schedule is the best way to ensure that you're getting the, the quality of sleep that you need. And that even is, is true on weekends because people tend to change their sleep uh, habits a bit on the weekends. Try not to. So, a little sleeping is fine too, but you, you know, you don't want to be sleeping 12 hours. If you're sleeping 12 hours, I don't care if you're feeling great, probably there's something wrong. If you need that much to recharge your bot, your, your batteries, something is definitely not going, you know, going right with you. And another factor about sleep, it has to do with the, uh, this news button. You know, it's, uh, it's a common problem that people will hit the snooze button, um, but I'm urging you to try to resist the urge to do that because studies have shown us that it's not doing you much good at all. When you rely on the snooze button, you're, you're doing yourself more harm than good in terms of the circadian rhythm sleep cycle, basically because you're, you're fragmenting what's left of your sleep and starting on a new sleep cycle. So if, here's what I'm saying. If you set your, your alarm and it wakes you up in the middle of a deep sleep cycle, you're now awake and then you snooze it and then you need to try to start another cycle. This pattern of neurologic sleep behavior is uh, quite harmful. And quite a, quite a number of studies have shown that the sleep cycle itself, just not getting enough proper sleep, can increase risk of all cause morbidity and mortality. That means increases your risk of dying of anything at all and reduces the quality of your life overall. I mean, let's face it, you cannot heal anything without rest and sleep.
Makes sense, right? Let's talk about water for a moment. All right, so there's a lot to say about water. Before I get into that, once again, for those of you who want to contact me, my number is 914-552-1442. My name is Dr. Michael Wald, and I practice about an hour north of New York City in a nice little town called Katona. All right, we could do, and I probably should do, an entire show on different types of water. In fact, I'm going to do that for the next show. So I want to talk about, first of all, how do you know you're getting enough water? And and then many of you are thinking, well, what is the best type of water? Okay, first, being underhydrated or not optimally hydrated can affect your mood, your energy. It can even adversely affect your heart. And the thing about water is this. It comes in all shapes and sizes. Everything from alkaline water to hard water to reverse osmosis water, distilled water, etc. I will tell you right from the start that I prefer to determine the best water for a particular person that I'm working with based on their whole health history and situation. Because, think about this, let's say the person has hardening of the arteries. A lot of people do, by the way, they don't even know it. Maybe their blood pressure is high from it, or maybe their circulation is affected, they're always cold, maybe their brain isn't working right because the circulation to the head is not there because of hardening of the arteries. So a lot of symptoms that people don't know are from hardening of the arteries. But if you drink mineralized water, then you're consuming minerals that can lead to hardness, particularly if you have hardness of your arteries. If you wanted to remove minerals from your body, particularly from your arteries, and let's say your uh, coronary arteries in your heart, you would probably want to be on reverse osmosis water because it is completely void of minerals. So it helps to flush minerals out of the body. Now, for those of you who are fans of alkaline water, the only indication that I ever am okay with recommending alkaline water is when an individual has either chronic esophagitis, inflammation of the esophagus, or chronic gastritis with reflux, you know, heartburn. Because if they drink alkaline water, it will help dilute the stomach acid that they make. And that's better than them taking a proton pump inhibitor that shuts down all of the stomach acid 24-7. Having said that, there are individuals that if they do not respond to all of the nutritional natural stuff, uh, then you know shutting off their stomach acid may be the only thing they can do to have any semblance of a life given the discomfort they have from reflux, which is heartburn. Not to mention the increased risk of mouth, throat, and stomach cancer from chronic reflux. So sometimes medication could be the best bet. But often, I am successful remedying reflux without medication. But I want to be fair that not all medication is evil. Um, you know, I'm going to quickly mention that I had responded to a, um, a post a little while ago on a cancer, natural cancer health site on Facebook when someone said, you know, all chemo and all uh, uh, drugs are uh, toxic. And why would we ever want to put toxins in our body? Well, some of these toxins like chemo can kill a cancer cell. Uh, and sometimes the nutrition won't do it. But the nutrition can protect or at least try to protect the healthy cells. My point here is not to make a case of, you know, is it best to do chemo and not chemo? I just wanted to point out that global thinking, which is saying that all this or all that is always wrong, which sounds like a globalization, doesn't it? What I just said, it's always wrong. It's always wrong though, because not all chemo is bad. Many more people would be dead without it. And not all medications are evil. Many other individuals will be dead or have worse quality of lives with it. That's not to say that it wasn't the best thing for lots of other people. So the same is true with alkaline water. I mostly don't like it. 
when it comes to water, how do you know you have enough? Well, you could look at your urine and it should be pretty much straw colored each day. But the problem is, if you're a health nut like me and you're taking you know, nutrients, some of them actually, like B, vitamin B2, they will change the color of your urine. So you can't, and it changes throughout the day, so you can't really use your urine color to, to figure out you know, whether or not you are dehydrated or not. But one other thing you might want to do is take your body weight, let's say you're 150 pounds, 160, 70 pounds, you divide it by two, and you multiply that by 0.8. The answer that you'll get is the number of ounces your body needs. Unless you're exercising, then you're going to need more. And you know, things like caffeine will pull fluid off you. It's a mild diuretic, all right? Even carbonated beverages are slightly, uh, have a slight diuretic effect. Some herbal teas might also do that as well. So you wanna drink all that stuff in, in moderation, but that's, that's the math that you can use. Now, as far as blood work, there's something called the Bunn-Creatinine Ratio. And if that ratio is in the elevated range, you are clinically dehydrated. Any doctor looking at the test would say, this person is dehydrated. And I, would, I see many patients' labs tests after they, they come into me, and I look at them and I said, wow, did you know you're dehydrated? And they'll say, no, no one ever told me that. You know, another mistake that's a doomsday mistake, which is not even your mistake, is when doctors or nurses or physician assistants, they misread your blood. They just miss stuff. And people say to me, intelligent people like you say to me, Dr. Wald, how is that possible that they can miss these things? How is it that you're telling me this is abnormal and that's abnormal and I see what you're saying, the blood test says H for high, L for low, so obviously they're abnormal. How come my doctor didn't tell me? Well, I'll tell you why. Probably because of a couple of reasons. Number one, your doctor just read it wrong. Number two, your doctor never saw it. He says, well, I want you to call these patients up. If they have any abnormalities, you know, let them know what to do and uh, they do that. So a lot of doctors put off these things to unqualified health professionals. Now, I'm not saying that a nurse is unqualified to read a specific lab test abnormality to you, but he or she should only be doing that once they were exactly told what those abnormalities are. Nurses, uh, and I love nurses and their education and what they do in hospitals, they run the show, but they don't read lab work, okay? They know some things, certainly, but it's not their thing. So it's not, and it's also not the, the doctor's uh, role in the hospital to do all the hands-on with patients. I mean, the nurses today, they're like old doctors used to be. They're really like doctors. In a nursing school in Florida, and wow, they, they not only do they have a lot of nutrition in their education, but their educations these days are, ne they've never been better. Uh, most nurses now are required to have master's degrees it's pretty impressive. Now, uh, let's, so we were talking about the Bunn-Cratney bun ratio. So, and I was saying, why is it that doctors miss these things? One, to summarize, they push the test off to people who shouldn't be reading it. And two, they misread the test or they don't read the test at all. I sit with patients and I say, where's your blood test, you know? I said, well, you know, Dr. Well, they don't have copies. Um, because, and I'm assuming that, you know, everything was okay. So, you know, I wasn't given a call. <laughs> Some of you are saying, holy crap, that's exactly what I've told my practitioners that uh, everything must be fine, but everything may not be fine. Usually the abnormalities I see on lab tests, sometimes are just strikingly bad. Again, doomsday bad. They affect the person's health and they were missed or misread or not read at all. But other times, the doctors don't value these abnormalities because they don't add up to a specific disease they're just, or they're simply not bad enough to be a problem. So these are errors in healthcare that cost lives. Um, and then a lot of the other things I've been talking about are just errors or possible errors that you might be making each day.
Let's talk about another one. We have time for a couple of other really good ones, like talking on your phone all day long. Now, anyone and everyone listening to this show on this station knows about EMF radiation. And phones are spewing this stuff out. In Sweden, they acknowledge that cell phones cause cancer. Like they've like done the science to like, yeah, yes, obviously. United States, well, we've got a lot of political interests uh, that are getting in the way. But if you must speak on a cell phone, I must speak on a cell phone. I'm, I make sure that I take the appropriate antioxidants and I do them in the form of plant superfoods. I've mentioned before that I produce something called detox one powder, two, three, and four powder. They're a red, green, orange, purple phytonutrient complex. And not all these nutrients are the same, by the way. I actually formulate these based on studies. I don't private label them from another company. But my point is this. If you find yourself a trusted phytonutrient powder drink, they will have, generally speaking, hundreds, maybe even tens of thousands of anti-radiation nutrients. I'll refer you back to my show, Radiation All Around Us, during which I discuss the details of how antioxidants can reduce the load of not only EMF radiation on the body, but ionizing radiation on the body as well. And this is, I, I was going through one medical study after another. And I say that to you once again because all of this evidence is right on the National Library of Medicine and doctors just don't know it. So most doctors that, that people describe to me as saying, Dr. Wall, they didn't believe in this nutrition. They're like, why are you doing that? I won't see you if you do that. These are ignorant individuals that are lazy. That is just the truth. Because I am not delusional when I see all these studies on the National Library of Medicine. And like I always like to do in every couple of shows, we'll get some physicians listening to the show just to make fun of it. Please contact me. Come on the air with me and let's go at it. <laughs> and I mean it because, uh, you know, this is so these are important concepts and respectfully to those physicians out there, we can make a difference. We can help even more people if we get our egos out of the way. We just got to go with the facts, apply those facts, apply the science to the person, to you, everybody. Remember, all that matters is you. All the studies in the world have nothing to do with you. All of my knowledge has nothing to do with you other than it's you, you're gaining some education, I hope, from listening to this, maybe gaining some new insights, I hope, but applying these, these concepts to you, that's what makes it better. What labs do you have that are abnormal that we can work on? How do we figure out your, your need for calories? What's your proper uh, water intake per day? Uh, what level of antioxidants do you actually need? There are ways of figuring all of this stuff out. So the whole cell phone situation is horrible. Uh, and you want to load up on antioxidants. So if, you, if you're if you like me, you'll drink a big vat of fluid every day. And I have my, I have like a custom nutritional supplement that I made for my chemistry that has all the basics that I need for like ever. And then I add to that specific other nutrients that my labs say that I need. And because I exercise very heavily, both running and weight training, there's yet more nutrition for those stressors so how do I know if that's all working for me? Well, every several months, I check a variety of lab tests. And then those lab tests will tell me if I'm getting the doses right, given how my body uses nutrition over my life cycle, over my lifetime. I'm gonna tell you just one more thing as a second generation doctor of chiropractic as well, is stand up straight, do not slouch. When you slouch, you compress your chest, you compress your abdominal organs. They don't work as well. They age worse. When you stand up straight, you free up the nerves, the blood vessels, the lymphatic channels, and other things that are located in between your vertebra that come out of your spinal column to your organs. You release a lot of that tension and stress. And you'll simply breathe better by standing up straight. And it's all about oxygen. 
So you can meditate all you'd like for an hour and take deep breaths, but if you're slouching all day long, you're just losing out. Okay. Well, I hope you enjoyed the show on Doomsday Lifestyle, and you can see that there are a few things that make such a big change in our lives. My name is Dr. Michael Wald. You're listening to Ask the Blood Detective. Please give me a call if you want to get healthy, 914-552-1442. I'll see you all next time. Bye-bye.